Hello, and welcome to AMO Kenzoku, episode 41. We are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who wanted an excuse to talk about anime, manga, and any related subjects we find interesting. The Kenzoku are... Hey all, I'm Mike. Howdy howdy, I'm Nick. Hey, I'm Sam. And I am Dylan. This episode is being recorded on 21 December of the year 2023. Today we'll be discussing the film Suzume, Hashin. A quick minor correction from last time when my brain completely failed on the show, the quote-unquote good uh, early isekai uh, is Log Horizon, as, as, in contrast to Sword Art Online. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> That was one that I I went back. It was one that I watched. I think kind of close to when it first came out in the U.S. I wasn't really watching much anime, but I watched that one and I thought it was kind of fun. And I re rewatched it something like a year ago, and it was still pretty good. Like the I would still say it's one where it's like the first season and a half, which is like call it thirty six forty eps, was was pretty solid. And then after that, it kind of like just has a slow decline. It wasn't a show where sometimes there's one you get to a certain episode and you're just like, just stop before you get to this episode. See Sword Art Online episode 10. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't, at least that was my feeling with that one was that it wasn't one where all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, this is just the dumbest show ever. And I hate it. It was just kind of like, eh, it just kind of felt like it should have ended at some point. But when you're, uh, I guess, eleven volumes of light novel, they'll they'll keep cranking out stuff. That was a NHK anime, wasn't it? I want to yep. say. Yeah. Okay. Yep, it was. Still have not watched it myself. Yeah, it's one where like it's uh it's I would say it's a pretty good quality like background show. I watched the first season in Anime Club and. Then second season on my own, I think, because Club wasn't doing continuations by that point. But I never got past that. I remember liking the first season a little more than the second. Yep. Yep. I completely and don't don't continue past that. If you're ever thinking you want to, just be like, yeah, I'll just I'll just let it end where I remember it was still okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's bad. I mean, but. It's not as good. I also don't remember how far I got, but I definitely got into the second season pretty far. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's not one where all of a sudden you're just like, oh man, this is just terrible. It's just like you start watching that after like halfway to the second season, you're kind of like, it's one of those ones you're kind of zoning out more on and you're like, wait, why am I watching this? Was this show ever good? And you're like, oh yeah, actually it was really good and now it's just not as good. <laughs> well, it's got one of the greatest character names uh, for an elf, William Massachusetts. <laughs> forgot about that okay that was pretty good (laughs) um okay but let's uh it's a good little side into the uh an isekai into the isekai world um and now back to our main topic which is the movie suzume or suzume no tojimari which um like the Suzume no Tojimari, like I have so much trouble like translating those types of things into English because the Tojimari means like uh locking like locking doors or fashioning doors. So you could say like, you know, literally it's Suzume's door locking, but you would I think I would probably more if I were gonna translate it that way, call it like Suzume the door locker. Um does anyone have any different like you know it's that, it's a that's, weird that's, I, that's not a great localization no, but but you base that's basically what it is which is why i i'm glad when they decided to localize it just just cut it to suzume because there's no elegant way to tr- translate tr- translate that title elegantly it just sounds clumsy in english so oh come on if this was the if this was the 90s and this was coming out it would be suzume shuts the door <laughs> I think if this were 90s and it were cutting out, they would have probably would have like changed the title to like Violent Man and Boob Lady Closed Doors or something like <laughs> ridiculous. I don't know. 90s, titles about... were, 90s anime titles were pretty 
elegantly short. That's one thing I like. Oh, fond- well, okay, fond- yeah. Fondly remember about '90s anime, like you have, you know, like, like Slayers, right? Like just that's it. That's but yeah. That's the closer. Where Suzume gets the Glen oh. Gary leads oh. in the coffee. Yeah. Actually, oh, I like I like that. It. I like that. Good. Yeah, I'll, God, I'll that's take good. It. That's good. Suzume the, cl- they should, the closer. They should hire the HBO you for PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree. I agree with that as well. Like, I think honestly, I think that just the English title of Suzume is is better. I almost feel like the Japanese title, like, I don't know, just like adds too much to it. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like somewhat of a preview kind of in the title more than just like, okay, Suzume, okay, what the heck's this? Um, so I always think that those those title things is is always very, um, very interesting. That one's was just, I, I think that I agree, they made the right choice. I still find it a little bit interesting that even in the, uh, you know, like watching it, you know, subtitled on... Crunchyroll or whatever, that even they're like the title, they just call it Suzume. Like, even when the title is shown in in the full Japanese, it's mm-hmm. not like they have a, like, even like a subtitle of like Suzume the Closer or, you know, something like that. It's just still is just Suzume. Mm. They probably just have the theatrical script that they're going off of. This is what I would guess. That could be. There's, yeah, that could, that could quite be. Um, so uh a couple hit up some of the uh quick quick facts. The original Japanese release was on November eleventh of twenty twenty two. The uh there is a variety of uh variety of worldwide releases. The US uh domestic theatrical release was on April fourteenth of twenty twenty three. Um, and it had a fairly, uh, a fairly wide release. Um, you know, theaters are very different than they used to be with stuff, but, uh, looking at some numbers said it was, it opened in, uh, 2,170 theaters, averaged two and a half weeks per theatrical run. Um, overall worldwide, uh, box was 323 million with 312 coming out internationally and almost 11 million in the US. Um, I don't actually know how that compares with other um, US, but that doesn't actually feel that bad for for that type of uh, of movie coming out. I believe it's the fourth highest grossing anime movie based on worldwide um, box office, which is pretty impressive considering right. that's going toe-to-toe with the with with all the Ghibli movies, which are obviously the, the you know, impossibly high uh, bars that are set. So, although I think, I, I want to say the, the uh, Demon Slayers movie was number one for a short while. Yeah, that one was huge. That was a, that was a COVID monster movie. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it pre- does it predate COVID by just a bit. It it, it um, might have been. I think it um, I think it just scooted before COVID, if I recall. Kind Maybe. kind of interestingly, and I don't know how this fares for other stuff, but just looking at some of the financials, it made uh, about I'll call it I'm just rounding here 110 million in Japan. It made about 44 million in South Korea, and. 120 million in china wow yeah i was surprised to see that it had that much of a release and just that much going for it there such that that was the largest uh margin for for box office total like i mean china consumes huge amounts of anime content now apparently they do huge amounts of it so that's but that's it's one of those things where i think it's always hard to see actual kind of numbers, and I found a good a good site that actually lists like all this box office stuff. So it's it kind of interesting to see. Go, huh? Okay, wow, that's a that's a huge huge consumption. You know, more than the Japanese audience. One of the things that's interesting, I'm I'm just looking at the uh, Wikipedia page um, 
I did not. I, I never really think a lot about how long it takes to make a animated film. Um, my benchmark is uh, Redline, which is like the not, not a good or, benchmark. No, not a good years. benchmark, right? Which is like ten ten years to make that thing. But that's because Koika is an actual lunatic. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely an auteur, I would say. Yes. Um, but this one was like starts uh, planning the project in January to March. They're planning, and then animation itself starts in. Well, we're looking at uh, April 2021, and then yeah, it finishes in 2022 and and goes to theaters, and you know, at the end of 2022, that's that's very impressive. I, th- yeah. I feel like Shinkai has probably gotten this whole process down to be hyper efficient. Yeah, and, and if man, this guy is one of those. I remember um, way back in college when I got that first thing, the Oshinokoi DVD. Um, the 7-Eleven limited release. Yeah, yeah. Memories. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> no, that's a different movie that yeah, we also have limited right. releases of. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is amazing, but like the guy, because that one was all done, he did it all himself, right? All the animation and everything. Voice acting too. Voices too. Yeah. And it was he like... Was the, he, was the, <laughs> he was the love interest. But he's he was so good and you could see his talent, but I was like, dude, you need to you need to give other people this other stuff like the drawing the animation and the character designs you need to let other people do that and it's like it's so awesome seeing him now like basically reaching his full potential and seeing how what he's really capable of with that. i couldn't have stated it better um yeah i mean i feel like we are in an interesting position you especially sam i mean you're you i remember when you I think the th- the thing he did before Hoshinokoi was the 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 girl and her cat thing, right? Yeah, the little yeah. Like five <clears throat> yeah. ten minute. Thing. Uh, I think yeah. one of you was first to show me that. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then you got you got Hoshinokoi. I'm like, dang, one dude made this. That's really impressive. And then yeah. you know now twenty ish, yeah, literally twenty years later, because Hoshinokoi was two thousand two. Like, he's released a movie that, in my opinion goes toe-to-toe with many of the great Ghibli films, of, of at least of the modern era, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, personally, Susan is probably his best film to date. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, because I like your name a lot, but I feel like Susan just... It's the culmin- I, I think Susan is a culmination of him taking everything he's always wanted to be able to do and finally being able to execute it to like the fullest extent, is how I mm-hmm. kind of see it. Like, I feel like every single other movie, he he probably felt like something could have been done better, something was lacking. I feel like Susan, he really was able to tell the whole story and execute every every technical element the way he exactly wanted to and didn't compromise on it. Yeah, you know, it's it's a real shame that, uh, in a in a particular way, it's a real shame that The Boy and the Heron came out this year because uh, I feel like he could get the Academy Award for animated film, but... If, uh, it's a Ghibli film on the roster, it's not going to happen. So, uh, bunch a bunch of things, a bunch of things there. So, um, on the awards, on the awards thing, since that's uh, kind of a, what I think is kind of an interesting thing. So, um, Golden Globes, uh, they announced they gave their award announcement like last week, and um, they gave Boy in the Heron, Suzume, uh and apparently Mario Brothers movie <laughs> nominations, best motion picture animated. Um, you know, and at some way it's kind of like, okay, you know, is Boy and the Heron probably going to win? I mean, I certainly hope so for Mario Brothers movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, is in my opinion, uh, I, I saw I saw Boy and the Heron in the, in the theater. It's cool. Um, and I'm going to, go with the same thing and say I think Suzume is a much better movie. Mm. Um I I love Suzume. I think it I It's really I'm, good. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. one I've I, I think I have more there's so many more this I, I my my words are all over the place there, but I I think it's a fabulous movie. I think I think it should be the best. I'm still still super salty that the Academy didn't allow your name to be nominated even for best animated picture because particularly in that year like 
really, if anyone had seen that nominated, there's no way that they wouldn't have like been like, yeah, this is clearly like the best animated movie that's been made this year. I'm still, I am still salty about your name not being able to nominate it. That was just a technicality, but, right? Like it didn't show. In yeah, the it was like because it was at some film fest early, and they're like, no. Mm. Um, but I did see the the Academy Awards. They got all delayed and stuff because of the uh the writers and actors strike Mm -hmm. um but i saw a thing saying recently as well that they're not announcing nominations until next year but they did say that uh suzume is eligible for a nomination nice but again as sam said the fact that it came out in the same like theatrical year as boy and the heron is a tall order and obviously i'm going to be have bias because i have i haven't watched boy and the heron yet but Again, like I, like I stated previously, I feel like just F- Suzume feels like Shinkai. Not, and this is not to be reductive, but like this is the most Ghibli-like movie he was he has released in all the good ways. Like all the magic that Ghibli movies has, he managed to find his version of that and really put it put it on on the screen. I mean, he found all of the little widgets that make Ghibli movies feel special specifically with like with Daijin and Sadaijin like the cats mm-hmm. like those if those are not the most Ghibli like creatures oh, yeah. <laughs> in a non-Ghibli movie and the whole concept of um you know they're whimsical and and trick and they're little tricksters and they turn freaking Sota into a a chair a talking <laughs> chair which is also a super Ghibli kind of thing to do and again i'm not trying to be reductive and say that you know ghibli is what everybody should strive for but i feel like more what i'm trying to more say is the shinkai managed to kind of capture all of that magic that again for me older ghibli movies invoke i i I honestly haven't really thoroughly enjoyed ghibli movies in a a very long time now i feel (laughs) like the last like truly mm, what's the word i'm looking for like inspirational one i saw was spirited away and even that one to me is still not as good as princess mononoke i still feel like princess mononoke is like the best have you you seen the wind rises no i mean i haven't i heard i'm sure it's fine and i'm sure i can like enjoy it but i just again obviously there's there's bias because i have not watched a lot of new ghibli stuff because a lot of it didn't appeal to me i do want to watch um that one because it's kind of like semi-autobiographical with right, Miyazaki, yeah. so I, I do. The I Wind am... Rises and Princess Kaguya are both pretty incredible. True, but Kaguya was not uh, Miyazaki, right? It was, it was right. It was Takahata's it was, last. Yeah, it was Takahata's last, and that one, I mean, from an animation standpoint, was was a masterpiece for sure. Speaking of movies that were in production for an insanely long time, because the director is a perfectionist, right? <laughs> yeah, but going back to what Sam was saying about how the plan from planning till theatrical release was what like two and two years and change yeah basically like that's for this quality is mind-blowing to me like man talk about knowing exactly who to get for for you know animators editors all those stuff all like all, apparently he just knew exactly that crack team that a team to assemble and make because geez like from a quality perspective this movie looks like it took ages to make yeah right Never would guess I mean, watching it. What I what I what I'll say now is, especially with the opening scene, is uh, Shinkai is to like starry skies and amazing like skylines <laughs> as uh, Anno is to like particle effects. I feel like he's hit that level with his skylines and his like just gosh. Like we were saying earlier, Mike. Like if I could see this in IMAX, I'm sure that opening scene would just be completely mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, as Anno is to power lines. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. power lines, fair. (laughs) Power Power lines lines and and particle effects. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so many, so many things and ways to, uh, to take, to take this there. Um, I'm going to jump all over the place and not going to even directly give the, I guess, well, here, okay, I'll try and give the, the briefest of plot summaries, which is a girl meets up with the guy and ends up seeing uh, these mystical energies which end up causing disasters around Japan and goes on a journey to her home in the area that was destroyed in the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami. 
journeying back into into her past. It's a good good summary. Yeah, I I think that's probably the <laughs> briefest synopsis you could feasibly give for this, and have it kind of encompass the general plot. So I I think I, the one thing I, one thing I want to talk about here that you kind of did, which I think is interesting, calling it the most the most Ghibli movie, and it's one of those things I kind of thought about actually in contrast to The Boy and the Heron, and this isn't going to be, I will try not to do any sort of spoilers for there, but I feel like this movie, Susume, is, it is it is that very excellently done Ghibli, where I feel in my head, I think probably the best Ghibli movie is Kiki's Delivery Service. I mean, you would not get too many people to argue that that, one, that one's... Easily that's, one of the it's best. my opinion. It's like there's. Uh, I, I might not even actually be my favorite Ghibli movie, but I think it might actually be the best. But it's like, it's a very straightforward movie that is executed just to S tier. And in some levels, Suzume f- kind of follows that same thing, where it's like, it's it's f- pretty straightforward and actually if you kind of follow the plot and what happens it's not like you're all over the place or trying to keep track of all sorts of things and traveling over it's very straightforward that way for the most part there's mysteries and things in it but it's just executed exceedingly well whereas i would say the boy and the heron is actually it's almost a very non-Ghibli movie and certainly a non-Miyazaki movie in that it is very convoluted and you're trying to figure out what the heck is even happening and where you are and you feel like you're in some sort of weird like almost like a a a, a dreamscape kind of movie which is so not Miyazaki-esque at all and it's kind of interesting that I feel like you think of a lot of anime and things like that as being kind of like oh all over the place but Suzume I I I think coming back to your point, Nick does a, you know what you could almost call like, oh yeah, this is this is this is the thing that makes Ghibli films great. It's just this like very clean execution of everything, just done just very well. Yeah, it was. I I one of the things I appreciated about the the execution of the story was kind of yeah that that good straightforwardness and. I liked that at the beginning there's mystery but then the the thing to me became about in, enjoying is maybe not the right word but me enjoying watching Suzume's journey you know how as as he like travels uh I don't know almost Anthony Bourdain style kind of thing <laughs> right like yeah and and then the the end the last third right is kind of resolving the mysteries and stuff so I'm I'm glad, glad you bought that Part specifically up Sam because I feel like one thing Shinkai does with his movie out let's say his last what six movies he's done is I always feel like he tries to take something he's he did in a previous one and try to do it a little bit better um in Suzume's case I feel like though especially the middle part of the movie where well I guess the beginning to like the I guess the first two-thirds of the movie where she's kind of going on this adventure right she ends up in a different city and befriends a different person to help kind of end up helping her along with her kind of secret mission. Reminded me kind of like how five centimeters per second was broken up into three acts. Mm. Um, Five centimeters per second is, it's a pretty movie, but man, not, not one of Shinkai's better. I really didn't like it very much. But it was a very pretty film. Um, he definitely upped his animation a lot <laughs> during that era. But I feel like this was him kind of taking that concept and doing it, executing it better now that he's got a little bit more, mm, like, experience under his belt. And I feel mm-hmm. like he, he did something similar. I don't want to get too spoiler with his other stuff, but, like, for those who haven't watched Your Name, I'll just say I feel like he did something very similar with the end of Your Name directly correlating with the end of five per centimeters per second. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like he kind of does this with each of his movies, kind of try to take a, a theme from a previous one and try to do it a little bit better. And it worked really well, Susan, because, like, the whole adve- her whole adventure was, you know, 
like perfectly kind of compartmentalized like that. And then I could tell for by the before the end, I was like, oh, they're gonna come back and do like a montage at the end yeah. where she does the trip in reverse and like hangs out with all her people now that she's done. And they did that, and it was great. It was super enjoyable. Felt very Ghibli like in, in an epilogue. You get an epilogue in the ending credits, basically, which is always feels good, right? Mm-hmm. So. I would and say she missed Fuji San both times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like Which little... is just a, just a tiny little thing, just hilarious though. Right, uh-huh. exactly. And you know, and the thing that to me it, it, that almost makes this in a way more impressive than some because Ghibli films are all you know completely fictitious worlds, you know, of a fantastic worlds or like based in reality but still not, you know, still not quite the same. But Susume is based literally based on the Tohoku disaster, right? The Tohoku earthquake from 2011. Like it's mm-hmm. literally, it's almost a way to, you know, immortalize that event in a piece of art. And mm-hmm. I feel like the, it couldn't have been done in a more beautiful fashion. Yeah, it was a, it was kind of a nice, like the 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 movie didn't, um, it wasn't super upfront about it, right? Obviously, they didn't. Reveal, reveal that until the end basically and i appreciate that it wasn't kind of hitting you over the head with it you kind of they in the end it kind of earns this shared feeling like you've built this connection with these characters and then you kind of feel all the all the junk that you know that caused them i mean with. for me the big just welling up of emotion and tear-jerking sections when they're in the whatever i don't I, i'm not gonna call it the upside down but like you know the <laughs> other the, the other world uh-huh. and they're trying to you know the whole the whole idea of you know think about the people here think about their feelings and think about them and you know they're doing that in that whole area and you're just seeing all these people saying you know oh i'm going to school i'm going to work like that's literally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the last time so many of those people got to say bye to their family right because that's before right before the tsunami hit yeah. i'm thinking like i like i started like i took a real deep breath there i'm like <sighs> oh man <laughs> this is this is tough yeah, like same. this is you know it's ten, ten, even ten years later, like it's it was such a, yeah, you know such a big deal. So and then, you know it it didn't. I also like that it took not directly related. Well, I guess kind of related because Susan May is an orphan of of that disaster, right? That's kind of inferred. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's an orphan of the the Tohoku earthquake, and her aunt, you know, did her familial duty in adopting her and. There was that another really tough and I would say very real scene right where they're in that car park, and the uh, and you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and and the aunt you know is at that point this is where things got a little bit kind of weird and abstract. I was, so at that point was she like being possessed by the the black cat the Sadaijin? Is that basically what's going on? Yeah, that was my that was read. my interpretation. And yeah. and but you know she's basically ranting. She's like you know I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Uh, you know I. And and you basically, it, she basically says, you know, I never, I I I threw away my entire adult life to to raise you, and they're like, oh gosh, that's like hard to hear, and it, it and then even then they don't try to they don't try to walk it back. She, you know, when they're when she's riding on, you know, when she's bicycling to to where Susan's uh, childhood home is, she's you know, she's telling her, you know, um. What I said back there was it wasn't the whole truth. Like it's it, you have your ups and downs, right? For sure, mm-hmm. there were moments where she's thinking like, "God, this kid's a burden." But she raised she wouldn't you wouldn't raise somebody for ten years if you didn't you know mm-hmm. care about them, right? So obviously, you know she, what she didn't see was you know, but despite the challenges, obviously you know she still doesn't regret the decision. So I'm like, yeah, that that to me was that's so real, right? Like it's not this fairy fairy tale, like you know perfect ending it's like this is this this is what real people feel and you know that's a re to me that was a real moment in that so to be able to capture that in you know in an animated film was to me like incredibly impressive especially given the scope of this film i would still say it's a very you can do something like that in a shock value like movie or show right if something was intended for like a mature audience you can do all sorts of wild stuff and and have it you know kind of have that shock value but this is a family mm-hmm. movie right like i would say I, I would be comfortable showing this to my nephews my parents but that moment is a very real tragic moment that you know is uh there's no clear 
like resolution. It's like, yeah, life goes on. And, you know, like I said what I said, but it's not all I feel. And I'm like, wow, that's, I was, I was very impressed with that scene. That was really powerful. Yeah. And and in that respect, it was kind of a weird choice for me to actually make her possessed by Sadaijin because I thought it was kind of perfect without that. Um, that in a way that kind of cheapens the explosion because it was kind of like, I mean, the show hints at it earlier on, right? Like it, at her frustration with, with Suzume. So it's like, that's just real. And she owns up to it later, right? So it's kind of the, the Sadaijin part feels kind of. I would um, say the, my one critique that like, I would say one criticism I have is the whole thing with Sadaijin felt just very sudden and just thrown in at the very end. I was like, whoa, what the heck? Like, mm. yeah, he, yeah, he mentions that there are two pillars that keep the, the, the worm sealed away. But like, just it, it literally just Sadaijin just appears out of nowhere all of a sudden. But, As they get into his territory. Yeah, which <clears throat> I suppose that that's a justification for. And again, I don't think it's enough of a criticism to ruin the movie for me. Far from it. Again, well, the more I enjoy something, the more I have to kind of dig to find real criticism of it. Because nothing is perfect, right? Everything can yeah. be, has its flaws. And that's okay. That's what, makes, you know, that's what makes me look forward to what he does next. Because I thought Your Name was a great movie. And then I thought about him like I like Susan May a lot more. And the rationale I have for it, be recency bias aside, is I'm positive five years from now, I'm going to remember very specific and distinct scenes from Susan May because of just how iconic they are to me and mm-hmm. how impactful. Truthfully, as much as I enjoyed your name, I have a huge amount of difficulty remembering specific scenes in it. I remember themes. I remember the outcome. I remember the characters vaguely but i don't remember any real specific scenes from that movie like nothing really stuck which i think is rather strange for considering how much i enjoyed that movie i still haven't watched that one it's on my it definitely hits different for different people i certainly know some people who through transness or other things more directly feel the gender swapping element oh yeah for sure and i think that's reasonable agree for me Suzume resonates more with my particular interests as for that conversation at first I thought Sataijin was kind of evil for possessing her and for but it feels like that was a conversation they really needed to have and yet couldn't because of Japanese politeness Hmm. that's a good point because it was yeah. kind of the elephant in the room of their relation, whole relationship by that point. Uh, interesting. Was the giant black cat in the room? Mm. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also find it huh. an interesting kind of quasi-related with that for Daijin and Sadaijin. When they actually hit their two forms, they actually inverted in colors. I thought that was yeah. an interesting design choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, really? Yeah, didn't that, like, if you look, yeah, like, Daijin, like, when he's, when that, those scenes where he's, like, trying to protect uh, Suzume when she's falling, you see that he turns into this big black cat, even though he's white the whole time. And then Sadaijin in the final scene is this gigantic white beast. I'm like, oh, hmm. that's an interesting design philosophy. I wonder, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what the, you know, intent behind it was. I thought it was cool, and it was very noticeable, but... So continuing with that and in uh, putting people on the on the spot and you can answer or not if you don't know what's the kind of the is there more of a meaning like what's the meaning behind daijin and sa daijin like I didn't look it up I that was my fault there for not not hitting the gshow.org but um <laughs> is it literally just like great person like what what's what's that a reference to uh... Does anyone know Mm, no. Okay, so it's so at least in my not knowing, it's not something that's like, oh yeah, well this is clearly a reference to like a, you know, because there is like, you know, if you look at just tossing Daijin into Jisho, you get like Daijin could be a a cabinet man, minister. Min- or yeah, I'd say it's almost Daijin. like a gov- like a government position, and I think that was okay. kind of the gag was like people were treating okay. Daijin as this like very important person because mm-hmm. he that's how because like because of it was a magical creature like right when when uh, the scene where Susan is at the uh with the, the mom that's the hostess right like Daijin's there and people like oh yeah he's a new guy that apparently everybody likes and it's to Susan it's the cat but to everybody else he's like app- apparently a person so yeah, didn't yeah. um the 
I don't, this is a thing that I didn't really get, um, was that the, the name seemed to come from other people, but that was also his name. What is, yeah, that... right. That's, that was, that's, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, at first I thought it was just a name that people were giving him for, for, because it be, that was like the viral name they decided to give him. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing about the movie that's, it uses current day, like social media and stuff very prevalently, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you even line? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. And, but yeah, but all of a sudden the name Daijin just stuck and it was even, even uh, it became like literally his or its name, right? Because um, that's what it referred to itself as, it referred to itself as eventually. So, yeah, I wonder if that was like a, its influence over people made sure people used the right name because, or, or, I don't. This is where the distance from the seeing the movie has some of this foggy. But was that actually his name? Was that in like the old papers or whatever? When she goes back and looks through the the history stuff, I don't recall anything on that that had a specific name. They just called it the I forget the original Japanese, but they just called they called it the Keystone or the Keystones. Okay. Um, mm. Well, there really so was just the that... viral name then. So then is the uh going with the name of the Sa Daijin looking looking up that is uh there's it's the the minister of the left from old like Nara or Heian periods. So like kind of like as a contrast to the uh the uh the minister of the right on the side of the like the chancellors, so there'd be like the minister of the left and the minister of the right. So I, I think that's what it's gotta be as a play I'm, on that. I'm that guessing was... so because when you think about the the origin of the keystones, it goes way, way back to like the Edo, mm-hmm. Edo period, right? So mm. that would definitely make, make sense there. That to have the etymology kind of, of of the names of the of the keystones be based around that. Okay. I, okay, I'm on. I'm on board with this. Yes, so it's 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 just like the referential. Oh, it looks like a very important person. It's Daijin, like a cabinet minister or something. And then, of course, the other one is the the black one. It's the Sadaijin. It's the minister of the left. It's the oppositional one to it, kind of. Um, even though they're giant cat friends. For what it's worth, it appears they write the name in um, katakana. Yes. Yeah, I did. I do. I do remember seeing that. Yeah, wherever it was given a hashtag, it was the hashtag Daijin all in, in katakana. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to I want to hijack the conversation to a new topic and see if anybody else caught this little like I I, I don't know I don't want to call it like a Easter egg. It's more of a, just a throwback. But the the portion when uh, I forgot the character's name, but um. The, the 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 best friend of uh of Sota who ends up becoming like the chauffeur for the back yeah. half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh well I love him as a character. Like he yeah. he gets like the crap end of the stick the whole time. He just yeah. kinda rolls he just kinda rolls with it. I'm like, man, I respect mm-hmm. that a lot. He's just yeah. kinda just goes with it. Like he's got this beater car <laughs> where the roof doesn't work. But yeah. then like and he's and you know has this one persona where you think he's kind of this scummy dude, and then like all of a sudden on the road trip he's playing all these like oldies, right? Yeah. On the radio, and then one of the songs is actually Yumeno Nakae, which is the oh yeah, yeah. which is like they the, they use it for the ending theme of of Karakano, but yeah, you know it's not yeah. they, it was not just made for the Karakano. It was an old old song before that. But I just thought I was oh man, that's that brought back some memories. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, yeah. you had the obvious reference to Kiki's. Speaking of old songs, not made for the anime. They <laughs> Right, <laughs> right, but just well, he said, yeah. said you know it felt as as he put on the 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 Kiki theme. He's like, well, you know, it felt appropriate. Like we're on a road trip, we've yeah. got a cat in the car with us. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. and there was a there was an aside earlier uh, when Daijin is first going around, and someone makes a comment like, oh, this is this is like whisper of the heart yeah yeah I that one. yeah 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly so there's definitely like homage right i mean you can't yeah. you, you cannot make a movie like this and not you know have at least been partially inspired by ghibli anybody from at from the age of my gosh wow well, one of my parents my parents are in, the, are in the mid-70s you know people in their 70s and below like they're every, that, that ghibli has touched any person from that age back basically right so well and i think that that's one of the things that the i forget who made the point earlier of like it almost being harder than ghibli because it is set in 
a real world. Yeah, like, exactly. In the real world, mm-hmm. such as like, well, yeah, of course, of course, everyone's going to be like, you see a cat riding on a train, walking in its own. You're like, oh, it's of course you're going to be like, oh, this is like uh, Mimi Osamaseba. <laughs> yeah, like it's super meta, right? Like just the the yeah. fact that it, it understands this whole situation. And speaking of, I'm glad you brought that up. Speaking of setting, man, uh, I was so happy that that Shinkai opted chose um have have uh the starting point be in like southern Kyushu because in my opinion that's like one of the most beautiful parts of Japan. The the mm-hmm. coast Miyazaki. The, yeah, mm-hmm. the coastline the coastlines around there are just the most gorgeous in that whole country. And I mean there's that first scene when she's going up and over the hill to to her school, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember seeing a view like that when I visited my dad's, you know, old like old, old back home. Like wait like my dad came from a a fishing village. Well, oh, my dad's family, I should say, we came from a fishing village on the farthest southern part of of uh, Kyushu called Bonotsu, and it's like this tiny fishing <laughs> village of like three thousand huh. people. Absolutely stunning, like like landscape. Just like down in down in like Kagoshima. Uh, no, no, no. Like way far, far, far down south toward to like the coast, oh, okay. like the bottom southern coastline, and. Huh. Yeah, like black black sand beaches. Like it's right by that volcano. Oh, uh-huh. so not, not yeah, by Sakurajima. Not a great place to be if because that's a very active volcano. But yeah. to visit, oh man, like beautiful, beautiful town. I would say the closest major city or well, moderate city is like Makurazaki. It's about forty five minutes away. So you know, if you ever end up that far south, um, you could go visit Ibuski, which is where they have those uh, hot sand um, sauna things you can do i think we did uh, that last time we were there it's pretty interesting you get buried under sand that's on top of an active uh, hot spring so like it's super hot oh, <laughs> and they just bury you in it for like 10 minutes and they say most foreigners can't last five because they pass out <laughs> 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 but anyway oh. uh, back to the top but yeah shinkai chose a fantastic starting point right for I, I, at least i feel like it was and then it's interesting because you, you can kind of go through uh, eastern Japan and so you kind of see like, you know, go through Tokyo and you see, you know, obviously the super metropolis and then goes all the way back up to the Tohoku region where it gets very rural again. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a cool like animated sightseeing of real parts of Japan, which, you know, I thought was. Yeah, pretty, I really yeah. I re- like his like the Japanese stuff, the, the Tokyo stuff that was done and out in uh, uh, what was it? Gifu for. um for your name was great but i feel like this is even better you get like i just like man i got this like full tour of japan get to see all these different places and it's the places that you know that you've been to you're like oh yeah it looks exactly like that mm-hmm. it's just but it's not like they sketched over stuff like they carefully drew it out but it made it look right and not um sam i was i was curious how much of the um suzume tour that you did on your on your trip to Japan. Oh man, I, I actually don't even know. <laughs> I didn't even think about that when I was on my on my trip, but I mean I probably went through the it whole seems area. Like you did a lot of it actually. Yeah. Yeah. I was just driving down that whole area. Yeah, I've never been down that way, but I was definitely following along on her trip this watch over Google Maps trying to figure <laughs> out where everything was. <laughs> yeah, and like you can even like see they even like show a few times like like her or someone else like looking on a phone on the map and being like oh where are they like oh wait they're going to kobe now okay you're like oh that's right you can drive from there over to kobe okay i loved that that like kind of uh, that and the watching things on on social media was just such a great way to do that i thought that was really cool yeah and it was done it was done in a way that like the social media stuff in there was part of it but it didn't destroy or take you out of the story which is always the challenge with social media stuff with teenagers is Mm -hmm. like oh well what's everything well it's the whole movie is teenagers just sitting on their phones all day yeah like that's why no one wants to make a movie about teenagers (laughs) um i mean shinkai already made that anime (laughs) (laughs) true (laughs) i did like that that they did that the social media was like a just like a tool right so they didn't have to have it for everything but yeah, but it, it enabled the story to progress, right? Because yeah. the, she was tracking, uh, you know, various SMS channels. She was like, "Oh, there, there he is. We got to go to Tokyo next." Like, I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." So they found a, like, used used it as a catalyst to progress the story, which I think was a perfectly adequate use of it. It yeah. didn't feel I, like it weird or toxic or anything. 
a realistic feeling story set in the modern area era if it didn't show up. Yeah, well, exactly. You, I, no, I mean, I disagree. I think you could totally ignore social media, and they, they could have, but for what they were doing, I think it was kind of perfect. Like, how are we supposed to find this creature and all this stuff? Because it's just running amok. But it's so weird that it is showing up on social media. So, like, oh, we will use that, right? Whereas, you know, the, they could have found another way to do this thing in the story. I, I think it's cool because it gives it a very distinct, like, Technolo- technology and time, like, and time stamp to this movie, mm. because, like, for example, you could watch Kiki's Delivery Service thirty years ago, twenty years ago, ten years ago, now, and y- you don't have a great perspective of like when the movie was made, right? Like, especially because it's such a high quality movie, you could find lightest like, oh yeah, this was made back in the early two thousands. Well, some people might believe you because it was so well made. But with Suzume, it's very obvious, like, the era that it was made in, like, the era of, you know, smart devices, um, you know, could see that as a negative, though, right? Where it's, I don't it's... know. I think that, that gives it its place of when it's intended to take place. Because it is very specific, because it is literally, it's, I believe it was, you know, whatever, I forget the exact number, is it like literally like 10 or 11 years after mm-hmm. after the yeah. Tohoku. Yeah, quake. because she so was it, she was it, seven it, years old during the Tohoku earthquake, and then she was 17 and when the movie happened. So, yeah, she, this movie was intended to take place in 2021. I do feel like, though, there there is a danger with having things too much based in the era that they're in like in in terms of like things like uh social media and stuff where you run the risk of making your thing a little bit less timeless whereas like if you're dealing with kind of human emotion and experiences and things like that those are kind of timeless things where if somebody watches this movie in 20 years they can still get that but like when it's oh i don't what is social media right i mean i think again i think the way they used it was very good because you didn't have to have experience it it would it, i i hope maybe hindsight will prove me wrong but like um but you can easily fall into that trap where people can no longer relate to your movie because it's so tied to the time it was made yeah i i, I get that yeah but I, I i agree sam like i think it could have gone that way but it used that sort of stuff just enough mm-hmm. to to take the the point and it was um you know there's so many uh things there um coming back to the the music i thought this was kind of this was an interesting one particularly from the last couple of films from your name and weathering with you that it was the same collaboration with radwimps but um it came out very different in that there really was not all of the uh the strong song interludes openings vocal uh vocal things in this one um which I was I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh man, where where do we get the the crazy, you know, rad wimps, I don't know, pop pop punk kind of pop rock, <laughs> whatever their whatever their music is. Um it's you know, I love their stuff. It's 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 good. Um but they really did not get it in there. And I think in some ways the soundtrack was a little bit stronger for it. Um the one thing that I'm I'm curious about with it is that I think because I watched actually a little bit of the dub because I was curious to see okay what's mm. this sound like in English, um, and it was pretty good. But um, going back to your name, uh, watched it with my wife and she's not huge into watching all the anime stuff and she gets annoyed watching things subtitled because you know she feels it takes her takes her out of the the experience a lot. So we tried watching your name dubbed Mm -hmm. and um rad wimps had redone the songs in english and we got like 10 minutes into the movie and she's just like just stop let's just go to japanese this is terrible (laughs) (laughs) yikes but i feel like you wouldn't have to do that with this film and i wonder if that affected some of the ability for it to be i like i don't know like in china place you know made 120 million dollars like was it a Chinese dub version and was it affected and improved by the fact they didn't have to go and like redub all of these songs and stuff? That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but that's probably a good 
point because if somebody goes in and watches a dub movie and then they hear music that's in you know a foreign language they're going to be really like what the heck is this like <laughs> this is in english or you know whatever yeah that's actually um i listen to too much k-pop music and they translate their songs in whatever region they release in so they'll release Korean versions and Japanese versions and English versions of these songs, and they put a lot of effort into making them sound the same. And I never really considered how "quote unquote" normal people uh, really need things in their native language to set them in there. And yeah, by Susan May not having that much, then it really yeah, gives them that kind of it, it kind of skirts that issue, which I think is pretty good. I, I I generally don't like the vocal music in the middle of movies. Yeah, I I generally agree. I think um, the score for Susanna was also very, again, not to be reductive, but very Ghibli esque. Very, you know, long, long, like epic, you know, orchestral segments and stuff. So I I I, I appreciated it. Mm -hmm. So not the early '80s Joe Hisashi. Uh... Hisaishi? Hisaishi. Hisaishi. Yeah, you're talking. Hisaishi. You're talking not about not the early '80s techno, techno Joe stuff. <laughs> not, 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 not techno Joe. Uh, more like Ghibli, Ghibli Joe. Right. Mo Mo Mononoke, Mononoke Joe. Mononoke Joe. <laughs> I mean, he's made just some of the most flat-out iconic songs oh, yeah. in all movies. I mean, mm -hmm. he's he is the in my opinion for japanese movies like probably the goat i mean when, when i think about iconic movie themes it's all ghibli stuff yeah. like all of it is ghibli it's like so, the john williams of japan yeah really mm -hmm. i mean well, not the, that i want to other... knock kenji kawaii's stuff sure well see i i yeah i have my that that's a whole different that's a whole different topic i think actually though if you are talking to a non non-otaku person they might actually say that like the best japanese composer is ryuichi sakamoto because <laughs> he's he Possibly. does he's did a lot of stuff that got in major u.s films oh really um, i didn't know that like the last emperor and like a bunch of other stuff so uh for film stuff i could definitely see someone like knowing his name not from ymo but from <laughs> uh uh, from his his film work but that's mm. that's again who's the greatest japanese composer that's a whole nother oh level. gosh yeah. <laughs> i mean that's if we're going into like things outside of movies that's going to be a bloody bloody battle because there's yeah. just so many greats right i mean what a you know what a problem to have there's there's just you know i could probably name comfortably a dozen that could in my opinion contend for best you know air quotes anime composer of all time mm -hmm. i mean and honestly there's value in all of them right so mm -hmm. all right um so we're actually kind of getting uh close to time here shockingly it's easy to spend an hour talking about a movie that uh at least quite a few of us loved so uh i'll give everyone a a chance to say some either random thing or their feelings or opinions or if they liked it more or less than than something else um I will I will start with a little bit that if you want to read an interesting and terrifying and thing on uh on Wikipedia look up the uh 2011 Tohoku earthquake Wikipedia article it is it is crazy like that I did not realize how it's one of those things I don't think about it all the time and this movie certainly made me think about it, just like how crazy the earthquake was. Like it was the largest recorded earthquake in Japan, fourth largest since 1900. It, uh, it changed the shifted the earth's the earthquake shifted the earth's axis axis by 10 centimeters, somewhere between 10 and 25 centimeters. It literally shifted wow. the earth's axis, like. There was Jeez. over a thousand aftershocks. Like it is so, it's so wild. So if you want, if you want a crazy read into very well put together Wikipedia article, um, the the wiki article on that is uh, it's it's intense. You're just like, oh my gosh. Um, and it was sent. That earthquake was centered literally just just east of Sendai. Um, 
So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, that that's my non directly related. Um, as far as related to this movie, I I've seen it. I saw it twice in the theater and then watched it once at home, and it's great. I think it's probably the Shinkai movie that I will probably end up in the long term watching watching the most. Um, but who knows? I hope I hope that I'm proven wrong by by his next movie. I hope I'm proven wrong, and that I go, ah, well, yeah. that one is good, but the next one's even better. That, that I hope to be proven wrong, and I will pass off to Mike unless someone else wants to take over. Yeah, this time it's interesting watching it. This time I was really looking at the. Um, it through the perspective of earthquake trauma since I was watching it for the second time and I can't even imagine how it was to go through an earthquake like that. Going through the Loma Prieta one was plenty to deal with and that, you know, leveled I downtown and did some minor damage to houses. Mm-hmm. So there was some sense of loss in that the town wasn't never quite the same again for better and worse but definitely didn't know any of the thankfully relatively few people who were lost in that one okay we'll go to nick yeah i mean i'm glad you brought up just you know the the scale of of the tohoku earthquake because it really it's really an amazing testament to how resilient you know people can be not just like not just in any of them just people in general because when Mm -hmm. you when you go back and look at footage of what happened to that coastline it was everything just gone i mean unless you were a steel structure like your whatever you had was gone and that doesn't and that's that's just material loss not not even the human cost um i don't know if i ever talked about it but i actually lost a family friend uh in that earthquake and uh you know it's to it to me it i think it has the the movie has a lot I, i'm sure that a lot of people in japan too and mm-hmm. or, and anybody with you know um strong ties to japan this movie i think really to me is a very beautiful way to preserve what was a you know near the closest thing we've seen in the modern era to you know like a cataclysmic event or mm-hmm. like a near extinction event like just the scale of it right as dylan described it was really nobody's ever really seen something of this scale so um to have it be you know uh immortalized in this beautiful film um yeah i i mean you know i I, i'm very content with how how the movie played out and how it how chinkai made a very conscious decision to tie it into that you know to that event forever um and he did a great job i think it was a very very bold call and i think he executed it well knowing that he only he did it in such short order too is just mind-blowing um, i'm really am excited to see what he can do next not only not because i necessarily expect him to to one-up himself but you know just to see what he what kind of you know um uh film he opts to do next since this is i think this has proven that he like everything else he's done has been relatively contemporary it's all been based in I mean, even this movie was largely based in reality, but he added a lot of fantastical elements to this one. So I'm hoping to see him try more of that because I think he can do it very well. So mm-hmm. that's my that's that's my closing statement. All right, Sam, you are up. Um, yeah, boy, yeah, I still have so much to say about this movie. Um, I I will say about the the earthquake stuff. Just going down the on my road trip is talked about at length in those two episodes, but it really is moving to see all that stuff um and one of the things that they do in japan i don't know if it's a cultural thing or or what but you don't see this kind of stuff over here is the they leave these destroyed structures up um some of them obviously not all of them but the you know the ones that kind of are there enough like that's what i think that one like middle school that was right by there is still up as like a museum now yeah and in the um the miracle pine tree um is there and they also kept there's you don't see this in the pictures as much but there's a building right behind it 
which is the ruins of a building, which is basically the thing that saved the Miracle Pine Tree. Um, so those two things are there together as kind of like a pair. Um, and there are a bunch of other places where they still have, they have these ruined structures are part of their monuments to remember. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty powerful. I think in, in one of them, there's a, there's a cherry tree growing out of it. Um, it was really nice. Um, but, uh, more about the movie. One of the things that I thought was really cool is that they, they did not, um, there is a, romance thing kind of a one-sided romance thing from Suzume that you know and that this kind of hinted at but they don't make that a feature of the film it's not about romance and I thought that was really great um and I was just going through the Wikipedia before this and that was a conscious decision on his part to not uh do that because he's like I kind of feel like I did that enough um I thought that was really <laughs> really great um so it's there for all the people that want to write the fanfic and the doujin um go ham that's fine. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that that wasn't really a feature of the movie. And, and holy cow, the chair. Like, I don't I can't believe we didn't really talk about the chair, but that was so <laughs> genius. That's like one of the, the key plot points of the whole movie. Yeah, that was so good. I, that was just like, what a stupid thing, but it was, it just made the thing so much more fun. I just loved that. <laughs> so great. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's obviously a lot more to discuss on this, um, but we'll probably put this aside for now. We may have a little more side discussion at some point because I I agree that was those are two things that I thought were uh, really cool. Kind of the the romance non romance aspect and the and the chair, which in some ways reminded me of South Park and Towley, um, <laughs> except like the opposite of of Towley. Um, <laughs> but uh, we will probably move on to a different topic next time. We don't know what that topic is yet. You'll know when we tell you what the topic is at the beginning of the next episode. So until next time, thanks for listening. And this is AMO Kenzoku saying Saraba. Saraba.